Hey there, Helen Hong. Hey, Jay Keith. And hello, listeners. Welcome to another best of edition of Go Fact Yourself, where we revisit some of our favorite segments from our past shows. This time, we're going to the movies. And what better time to celebrate our guests' love of movies than during award season? And because some of you have only heard our show when we've been recording in pandemic times, all of these clips are taken from shows when we had, am I saying this right? A live audience? Mm, doesn't sound right, but I think it is. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll be back with real people in a real room soon, because, man, it sure sounds sweet. Meanwhile, Helen, we've talked about our favorite TV shows before, but I actually don't know. What are some of your favorite movies? The Princess Bride, obviously, nice. is, a, is a classic. Mm-hmm. I'm weirdly obsessed with Pretty Woman, even though it's a feminist debacle. It's just, yeah. it's just so fun. Yeah, we actually got to talk about that when we <laughs> yeah. did a segment on, on Pretty Woman with, of all feminists, Roxanne Gay. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we are not afraid to take that head on. That's really cool. You know, it's funny. I had maybe seen Princess Bride many, many years ago, and then it turned out it's my fiance's favorite movie. So I've gotten to see it in a couple drive-through settings, and actually at the Hollywood Bowl uh, last <gasps> season, also. What? So uh, I kind of get it. I kind of get why people enjoy that. It's like candy. It's it's you know, there's no nutritional value, but it's just <laughs> it's just sweet and delicious. It yeah. is sweet and delicious. <laughs> well, let's get started with our first segment. This is from episode three. It was just our third episode in and we were already taking on a crowd favorite when it comes to movies. Here's Pamela Ribbon versus Frank DeCaro, Pamela showing off her knowledge of the 1980s classic, The Goonies. Roll the film. Frank, again, you can steal if Pamela gets them wrong. Frank, how is your Goonies knowledge? I have never seen the film, and I lost the DVD that I bought because I lent it to someone and I don't remember who. (laughs) Pamela, I think you got a good chance to catch up. Here's your first question. What three-word phrase is shouted by Sloth when he slides down the ship's sail to save the day? Talk it out, think it out. Well, okay, that's right. I'm supposed to think it out. Well, because originally I think it's sloth love chunk. You do have a hint available if oh, you like it. Oh, you know what? I'll take it. Helen, what is the hint? The hint is it's also a catchphrase from the electric company. Hey, you guys! Helen! Oh, that is correct! That is correct! Wow! That's right. Excellent that's use right. of a hint. That's right. All right, because it's not Baby Ruth, I got it. All, All right, right, here we go. Number two. The Goonies has four characters with the last name Fratelli. Yeah. Name two of the actors who played a Fratelli. Oh, boy. Okay, so Ann Ramsey was one of the Fratellis. Joe, it's Joey Pants, whose <laughs> real name is Joe Pantoliano? Ellen. That is correct. That is correct. Two for two. All right, number three. Much of the plot of the Goonies revolves around finding the treasure from the pirate ship of One-Eyed Willie. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the pirate ship? What was the name of the pirate ship? Chester Copperpot went to find the pirate ship. He was a pro, and he never got this far. I'm really, we'll start at Act 2, and I'll get all the way to the ship. Um, what is the name of I mean, I guess, if you recite the screenplay, eventually it should yeah, say the maybe. name of it. Who knows? Yeah. It could just be a visual. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have a fun fact about the ship. We'll do it later. But what, uh, I'll have my other hint. Helen, the hint, please. Here's your hint. Yes. It's the title of a sequel to The Da Vinci Code. Oh, boy. Where's my mom? Um, let's see. No, nope, nope. <laughs> That's not going to help. Crossbows and arrows? Ellen? That is not correct. Frank, good news, you have a chance to steal. The SS Lollipop. <laughs> Ellen? <laughs> also not correct. No, I'm sorry, the correct answer was the Inferno. The oh, Inferno. I also would have accepted Angels and Demons. <laughs> yeah. No. Crossbows and arrows. All right, let's see how you do with this one. Okay. Number four, Steven Spielberg is credited with the story, but what other famous director of family films is credited as having written the screenplay? Oh, well, um, oh, maybe he's also the director, so it would be Richard Donner? Helen. Not correct. Oh. No, I'm sorry, not Richard Donner. Frank, would you like to steal? Uh, John Hughes. 
Ellen? Also not correct. No, the correct answer was Chris Columbus. Oh, Chris I didn't Columbus. know that. Chris Columbus, yes. Got a little, yep, no. exactly. Director of such family films as Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Rent. Yeah. And discovered America, but was not a nice guy about it. All right, here we go. Number five. At the end of the movie, Data tells of being attacked by an animal, a mm-hmm. reference to a scene that was cut from the movie. That's right. What animal attacked the Goonies in a deleted scene? Sea monster, the octopus. The octopus was really scary, is what he says. Helen? That's correct. That's right, it was an octopus. Played by Martha Plimpton. No. (laughs) No, though I hear she was rather handsy. Um, All right, very good, Pamela. Now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. You may know this right away, you may need to think on it. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Okay. The Goonies were known by their nicknames, but the characters did have full names. Mm-hmm. For up to three points, what were the proper first names of Mouth, Data, and Chunk? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, okay, so this is not my expertise here. Let's see Chunk's real name. Just the uh, first name. Yeah. Well, first you got to do the trouble shelves. It's what I have to do. It's just the lines to see if I can remember the characters' names. Data, 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 data is what she calls him, but I don't remember, and so we'll just call him Pete. Because <laughs> I'm so wrong. And then Ralph, we'll just say, is uh, Matt. All right, They're so all wrong. So They're for Mouth, wrong. we have Matt. No. For Data, we have Pete. And for Chunk, we have Charlie or Charles, Charles. is that what you said? Charles, who pick a wrong name, you got it. Okay, <laughs> very good. We're going to find out if that's correct oh, because no. we haven't... Do you want to change your answer? No, it's fine. I just realized I forgot about the expert. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> He's never going to forget about you. Uh, we do have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have here? He is the co-founder of the entertainment law firm Cohen Gardner <gasps> LLP, and he also starred in The Goonies as Chunk. It's Jeff Cohen. Jeff Cohen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. No, I knew. Wow. Hello, counselor. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know what to uh, how to respond to that answer. It was a tough question. Yes. It was a tough question. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a moment, but first, let's, right. get to, let's get to know you a little bit. First of all, you do not look what I think most of us thought Chunk would look like when he grew up. Uh, I, I used to be a Chunk. Now I'm a hunk. Yeah. <laughs> Just thought of that. Mm-hmm. Just thought of yeah, that. Yeah, line. never been right said there. before, never I'm been sure. Said before. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, my goodness, what was it like being on the Goonies? It looked like it was so much fun. The Goonies was amazing. The tough part was kind of when, I mean, because you've seen the film many times. Basically, there's a point in the movie where one group of the kids go together and they have a great time. Right. So it's like all the other kids are like going down water slides and, you know, rocks are going to drop on them and they're having fun and playing the bone organ every day. You know, I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're going on a water slide. What are you doing today, Jeff? Uh, locked in the basement with sloth again. <laughs> so wow. so it was great, but, you know, there, there were ups and downs. Tough life lessons yeah, as a for kid. Sure. For sure. Now, uh, others in the cast, of course, continued on uh, in the acting world. Yes. But you, you chose to go into law. What was uh, behind that decision? Puberty. It's funny, oh, man. Like, <laughs> you, you start off as a cute little chubby kid, then you yeah. get acne, you start looking goofy, and you got to figure it out. You got to figure something else out. I was very lucky um, in that... The director of Goonies, Richard Donner, uh, when I couldn't get work anymore as an actor, uh, he kind of took me under his wing. And I started working for Dick uh, and Lauren Schuler, uh, his wife, who's an amazing uh, producer. 
uh, as a production assistant. Mm. So I started working for Dick and Lauren, and, and then uh, when I went to Berkeley for undergrad, like every summer I would come and work uh, at Warner Brothers at their, at their offices, and then eventually got my first entertainment law job through Dick, uh, and then started my own uh, entertainment law firm about 15 years ago when I had hair. It's a long, long time ago. But uh, yeah, it's, well, I, it's actually not bad because the, the upside of, of being an entertainment lawyer versus an actor is that I don't have to audition and I still get to go to the parties. So there's upside. It's okay. It's all right. And you've done very well. Yes. Oh, you've done Thank very you. well. You Thank were you. named to uh, Variety's Legal Impact List and their Dealmaker's Impact List. And you actually wrote a book that I have here. Tell us about this book. The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. Yes, thank you. Well, it's, it's funny you have a copy of that. The, uh, <laughs> yes. I've heard great thing about the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments published by the American Bar Association. Um, it's, it's a book that I wrote for the American Bar Association. It uh, came out last year. And it's kind of my uh, theory of like deal negotiation and kind of maneuvering in the entertainment industry. And I've heard you can get it on Amazon uh, and uh, the Kindle and the audiobook. If you want the, these beautiful pipes reading the book, if you're too lazy to actually read the book, I will read the book to you. I don't know. So. I don't think our audience likes to listen to things in audio oh, yeah. format. <laughs> yeah, um, all right. Well, let's get to the reason that we have you here tonight, uh, especially because we asked Pam this expert-level questions about the Goonies. Uh, as a reminder, we asked her the proper first names for Mouth, Data, and Chunk. And Helen, let's remind everyone the answers that Pamela gave. Pamela said, Mouth, Data, and Chunk were named Matt, Pete, and Charles. Jeff, is she correct? Um, is there anything stronger than no? Is there anything stronger than... <laughs> You're the lawyer. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, okay, no, but it was a tough question. It's it was a, tough. It's a very yeah. tough question. So uh, the name uh, of Mouth was Clark, the name of Data was Richard, and the name of Chunk was Lawrence. Oh. Actually, Lawrence Cohen, my, my actual last name, which was is funny. Was that a coincidence? Or was uh, you... total, total coincidence, but don't feel bad because I think we're going to, we have... Yes, we have one extra bonus question for you, Pam. Yes. Oh, so, can, I, can you hand... Absolutely. Frank, could you hand me that? Thank sure. you. Pamela, it's okay that things didn't work out because you have an opportunity to redeem yourself. Now, if you get this special uh, Goonies question right, okay. you will win two things. Okay. Um, now, you know, no one likes Russian hacking... But everybody loves Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> so this is a special oh Goonies-themed Russian nesting doll set. Oh, if you can get this question right, and okay. I will even throw in a copy of the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. I know that's even more exciting <laughs> than the, than the Goonies you. nesting dolls. I didn't want to ask. The question is, it's an objective question. Oh. Who is the coolest Goonie? It is an objective question. There's nesting dolls no here. No pressure. The coolest Goonie is the one holding the nesting dolls. <laughs> yes, of that the is Goonies. correct. That is correct. It's Chuck. It's Jeff Cohen. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. <laughs> you know, we're always happy when our contestants get to meet experts on our show. But one of the rare treats is when our expert is just as excited to meet both of our contestants. And that's what happened when Jason Kravitz faced off against Kirsten Vangsness. Jason knew a lot about the movie Young Frankenstein. Or Frankenstein, if you prefer. Let's hear it. And all right, here we go. Here's yes. your first question about Young Frankenstein. To what Irving Berlin song does Frankenstein's monster perform? That would be Putting on the Ritz. Ellen? That is correct. That Putting is correct. on the Ritz! Fun fact, that song was covered by Taco in 1982, and you can hear more about that in our episode one uh-huh. of Go Fact Yourself. <laughs> where we Remember discussed that, guys? That. Remember that? Let's go back and listen. Uh, here we go. You're one for one. Here is question number two. 
Not known for comedies, what Academy Award-winning actor played the blind priest who struggles to serve hot soup? Oh, that would be Gene Hackman. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Yes. I was just about to make espresso. (laughs) That's right. He had one for French Connection, later one for Unforgiven. Here is question number three. Victor Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein's grandfather, is revealed to be whose boyfriend? Oh, that would be Frau Blucher. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Helen, is that correct? That is correct. And, one, and Helen, once again, what was that name? Frau Blucher. That's right. We bought a With sound, sound cue. Effects. Feel free to mention her throughout the show, and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep our sound engineer David on uh, tap. Uh, here we go. Number four. When the monster and Elizabeth, played by Madeline Kahn, are in the bedroom, Elizabeth says there are two hampers in the bathroom. One is just for shirts. What two items is the other one for? I believe the answer to that is socks and poopy underwears. <laughs> Helen? That is correct. Oh. Now, Helen, it actually is poo-poo underwear. Poo-poo but are we going to give it to him? I'm going to give it to him. We're going to give it to him. We're going to give you the poopy and the poo-poo. It's technically poo-poo underwear, but you know. Yes, we don't want to get tweets about poo-poo underwear, so we want to make sure that's correct. Uh, Jason, you're four for four. Let's see if you can uh, do a clean sweep. Oh, let's see. And again, you do still have a hint available. Oh, boy. Here is question number five. The brain Igor is sent to steal is labeled with the name of a, quote, scientist and saint, a name that belongs to a real historian and professor. What was that name? He's sent for the name, but he writes it with an initial on his hand. It's Hans Delbruck, and he puts H. Delbruck on his hand. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Thank you. That's epic. Jason, you are five for five. You have a chance to become only the second contestant we've had to get a clean sweep if you can get (laughs) this next question right. Because here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Ding, ding. That is the correct (laughs) response. All right, we're bringing on an expert to assess your response. It's worth up to three points. Here we go. The first speaking part of Young Frankenstein is, of course, Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. The second person to speak is a medical student who asks a question of the doctor. The actor who played that medical student went on to have a successful career in Hollywood as both a casting director and a voice actor, providing the voice of one of the Smurfs for several years. For up to three points, who was that actor... What was his character name in the credits of Young Frankenstein? And which Smurf did he voice? Wow. My brain hurts. Jason? It was Danny Goldman was the actor. Mm -hmm. I believe he was listed as medical student. Mm -hmm. And I believe he was... Was was there a character? Was it Brainy Smurf? Yeah, I'm going to go with Brainy Smurf. I don't know. All right, we've got Danny close. Goldman, medical student, and Brainy Smurf. Helen, keep track of those answers because we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a man who's had a career as a voice actor and casting director <laughs> and who appeared as the medical student in Young Frankenstein. It's Danny Goldman! Danny Goldman, ladies and gentlemen! You're finally beating me. I'm finally beating you. Welcome, Mr. Goldman. Welcome, Danny Hi, Goldman. Danny right. just, he just said, I'm finally meeting you. I'm like, you could have called. <laughs> <laughs> now, you actually know Kirsten from your casting yes. director days. Tell us about that. She used to come in and audition for us before she got famous. 
<laughs> I would be happy to come in and audition for anybody now that I am famous. We were, doing, we, we were doing commercial work. And in fact, you you cast me in a couple things yes, as well. Absolutely. So that's how you get on the show, everybody. Cast me in something. <laughs> Funny thing is, I myself have only seen Young, Young Frankenstein three times. Last night was the third time. The what? First, <laughs> what? The first one, it came out, and the second, there was a 30 year Mel Brooks thing that they did at the Egyptian, and I went to see it. I could never, ever watch myself. How come? It's just one of those things some actors have this madness. I have it. It's not a good thing to have. (laughs) So I either have to get drunk to see myself. Wow. Really, and I don't drink. Uh, or <laughs> that makes it difficult. I, yeah. just, I, I would say that ninety percent of the stuff I've ever done, I've never seen. Wow. wow. Well, what was it like to be in Young Frankenstein well, and work with Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks and all those people? Uh, the couple of things I do remember: I remember auditioning at Fox, and Terry Gar was there. Either I had known her before, or I had met her just once before, and I was wouldn't be in love with Terry Gar. And uh, and then I walked in the room, and there's both Mel. And Gene Wilder. And I thought, oh, my God, this is really scary. And I did my part, and about two weeks later, I got a phone call saying that I was cast. Wow. And what was it like actually filming it? I understand that in real life it was in color. <laughs> no, that's incorrect, uh, J.K. No? I no. thought it was in black and no, white. No, as a matter of fact, they wanted to... Uh, 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 20th Century Fox wanted to shoot it in color just because they wanted it... Uh, Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder wanted it in black and white. They wanted uh, to shoot it in color because Peru had just gotten color projectors. Mm. And Mel Brooks said, nah, because if you shoot it in color, you're going to make some excuse and you're going to risk a lawsuit and you're going to play it in color. And I'm not going to have that. We have to shoot it on black and white film, which is what they did. Wow. How about that? Point Kravitz. Yeah. No. Yeah, definitely. Oh, no definitely. point. Oh, well. uh, did it lead to other work for you? I know you, you worked in a lot of things, but did that really I was specifically... on a series about a year later or two years later. I got a series, I think, possibly from that. Or that people knew me from that. Yeah. And then when did you segue into doing uh, voice work? Uh, that was, I just auditioned a lot and could never get a radio spot. And then uh, they kept calling me to audition for the Smurfs, which I did, and how you identified Wait, wait, let's not reveal that just yet. We don't know yet if Jason's correct. You know nothing? I know nothing. Oh, okay. Uh, actually, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our right. game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked Jason. We wanted to know who played the medical student, how the medical student was credited, and which Smurf that actor voiced. Uh, Helen, let's remind everyone, who did Jason say played the medical student? <laughs> Jason said Danny Goldman. Danny Goldman, is that correct? Yes. It was correct. Thank God I got that one right. <laughs> and Helen, how did Jason say the role was credited in the film? Jason said medical student. Danny? Yeah, perfect. That's correct as well. <laughs> and finally, we asked him, which Smurf did you voice on the Smurfs? Helen, what did Jason say? Jason said brainy Smurf. Danny, who did you voice on the Smurfs? Brainy, nine brainy years. Brainy Smurfs, he got it right. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. A clean sweep. A perfect clean score sweep. from Jason. Uh, can, you, can you give us a little brainy? I can't. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> Not for free. No, where, I where did the voice... voice lift. My voice is sunk. Oh, okay. It was a high voice that you did. But you did that for, for how long? Nine years. Nine wow. years, ladies and gentlemen, Brady Smurf. What a gig. That's amazing. Thanks again for joining us, Danny Goldman.
We're sorry to say that our expert Danny Goldman passed away in 2020. You can hear what a sweet man he was. And I know it meant a lot to Jason Kravitz and to me that we got to spend time with him. He even went out with us after the show. What a great guy. All right, moving on. Dun, 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 dun. Uh oh, we're going to need a bigger podcast. Let's go to episode 15 with Paul F. Tompkins and his expertise of Jaws versus author Susan Orlean. Paul, by the way, is the only guest to date who was able to introduce his own expert because he saw him sitting in the audience. <laughs> John Williams would be so proud. That was pretty good, I thought. It was very good, actually. <laughs> All right, Paul, here's question number one about Jaws. Jaws is famous for its iconic score, of course, featuring da-da, 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 Who wrote that score for Jaws? Uh, Mr. John Williams. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Of course, John Williams, who, as we record, is the most nominated living person in Academy Awards history. All right, number Across two. all categories. All categories. He's had the most nominations of any living person. Show off. Right. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to know this. In what fictional town does Jaws take place? Amity Island. Helen? Of course, that's, that's correct. That's right. Uh, in the book, of course, Amity was in New York, and in the movie, it was in New England. Uh, number three, Jaws was nominated for four Oscars and won three. Name two of the three awards it won. Oh, boy. I'm going to say it won best score. I think John Williams probably won for that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say one best screenplay. Score and screenplay. Helen? That is not, not correct. Not correct. I'm sorry. All Susan right. with a chance to steal. Um, production design. Is that the terminology in Oscar land? We'll translate it if necessary. Okay. And, well, I would go with score. Or, or, yeah, that's you fine. You can use that again. Okay. Yeah. So score and production design, Helen? Also not correct. No, I'm sorry, no. Uh, It won uh, best music, best score, as you said. It also won for best editing and for best sound mixing. Best sound Ah. mixing. They're both good. The editing is great. And the sound is mixed. Yeah, just perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, By the way, it was nominated for best picture, but it lost to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. There you go. All right, let's see if we can bounce back with number four. There are many famous lines of dialogue in Jaws, and director Brian Singer named his production company after one of them. What is the line? That's some bad hat, Harry. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. I don't even remember that line. What's that line? It's the best. (laughs) Roy Scheider, he's a cop from New York. He's terrified of the water. He doesn't want to be there. He's he's got the shark attack on his mind. They won't close the beaches, blah, blah, blah. This guy who's like obviously an islander, this old man comes up. He's got this weird fishing. He's got a weird <laughs> swimming cap on, and he's talking to him. He's like, "We all, we know all about you, chief. You don't ever go in the water." And then he just shuts him down. He goes, "That's some bad hat, Harry," and he just walks away. It's a perfect burn. It's just a fashion diss. Yeah, it's a fashion diss. <laughs> all right, here's number five. There are many not-so-famous lines of dialogue in Jaws, and one of them is said by the town secretary who fields complaints from the residents. I can tell you knew this before I finished asking it. What does she say some nine-year-olds are doing? They are karateing the fences. Helen? That is correct. Yes, karateing the picket fences, but we'll give yeah. that to you. Karateing the picket Karate-ing fences. Karateing the picket that lady. fences. Oh. 
Uh, that was not how the line was written, as you probably know in the screenplay, but the woman was not a professional actor, and That's she could not say the line correctly. <laughs> and thus, karateing the picket fences entered the vernacular. Uh, all right, Paul, you did... What was the line yeah. she was supposed to say? I think she was supposed to say like they were karate, karate chopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? She was efficient. She realized, why use two words when you could use one? Everybody Absolutely. got it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Paul, you've done very well, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. All right. Ooh. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Here we go. Jaws, of course, is based on a book, but the books don't stop there. So for up to three points, who wrote the book the movie is based on, who with the book's author co-wrote the screenplay, and what book did that co-author write chronicling his experience making the movie? Uh, the book was written by Peter Benchley. Uh, the collaborator with Peter Benchley on the screenplay was Carl Gottlieb, and the book that Carl Gottlieb wrote was The Jaws Log. Oh. Didn't get a lot of time to think. <laughs> Helen Damn. has written down those answers, and we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Can I introduce him, Helen? <laughs> because I recognized him sitting over what? there. What? No way! Our expert is... Screenwriter of Jaws and author of the Jaws Log, Mr. Carl Godley. Oh my goodness. Mr. Godley, we tried so hard to keep you hidden from Mr. Tompkins, but to no avail. I was, I was in his eye line. I couldn't help notice. Uh, <laughs> all handled your introduction very well, but he neglected to mention that in addition to being the uh, screenwriter collaborator on Jaws, you also are an Emmy Award winning writer whose credits include The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, Caveman, and The Jerk. Mm. <laughs> Not a slacker. Not at all. If, 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 I was, if I was a Jeopardy category, it would be his hits begin with a J. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, how did you go from being such a prolific comedy writer, producer, and director to writing Jaws, which has some great comedy lines, but certainly is not classified in that genre? Uh, there was a new kid in town working at Universal who I was friends with, and I had acted in a couple of his movies, uh, his television films, uh, Something Evil and something, the, the Savage Report. And we were pals, and we hung out, and... Then uh, he went off to do Sugarland Express, and then Stephen came back and said, I'm going to be doing this script next. Take a look at it. And I gave him my thoughts on it. And he said, it would be great if you could be on it as an actor because you'd be on the set. You know, we mm-hmm. could uh, work with the extras. I know you're an improviser and you do comedy. So uh, I uh, read for the casting director at Universal. I was cast in, in the movie, uh, playing the part of the newspaper editor. And then uh, I, a few weeks before production, we had a meeting uh, about the script, and I offered my thoughts, and they said, can you start tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at that time, I was a story editor on The Odd Couple at ABC. Wow. Uh, and I had to, uh, on one day's notice, walk away from television and go into the unknown world and, of features. And not just walk away from television, walk away from The Odd Couple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't regret the decision, but uh, <laughs> and, cause, and in those days, the, going from television to the movies was a big deal. Now, everybody in the movies wants to be in television because there's <laughs> better money, better writing, you know, just more to look at. Were you able to still keep your gig as the, as the actor, the newscaster? Uh, yes, but as a writer, I had to cut the part. <laughs> you had to cut your own part? The, wor- the hardest thing I ever did uh, in, as, as a writer was to reduce the importance of the character of the editor <laughs> in the film and 
take lines away from him and whole scenes that you know had, had to come out. It was it was tragic. Now, uh, one of the most famous lines from Jaws is, of course, "We're going to meet a bigger boat," and and I've read in lore that that was actually improvised by Roy Scheider. Uh, for years, I refused to take credit for that line because I, I also thought it was ad libbed by Scheider. Mm-hmm. But I would, you know, I kind of rationalize it. Well, I created a character that he inhabited fully, so when are you time to make something up? <laughs> but then, then one of the Jaws fanatics out there, and there are many, and, and they've, they've still framed it, you know, and watched it frame by frame. And, mm-hmm. and uh, one of Get them... suits made out of swatches and things of that nature. <laughs> yeah. So one of them pointed me to a documentary uh, where Scheider, in an interview, says, oh, that was in the script. So I immediately felt better about that. Wait, you don't remember writing that line? I don't remember much about that. <laughs> I mean, I was it was e- the 70s. Yeah. It was the 70s. It was it was a rather pressured situation. Scheider later elaborates in that in the outtakes in that documentary. He said the uh, the producers Zanuck and Brown were incredibly stingy and cheap, and they didn't buy the proper support vessels to be with the boat, with the camera boat out at sea. They had a barge called the, the SS Garage Sail. Because it, <laughs> it had lights and everything. And they needed a, a bigger boat. So it became a catchphrase on the set, we're going to need a bigger boat because every time something went wrong, it was in part due to the fact that there was not enough support vessel to you know, shelter the, the location from the wind to mm. carry stuff. So they, about three, two months in, they they relented and hired the boat they should have hired for the first, <laughs> oh, wow. which was a, uh, a ocean-going tug called the uh, the Whitefoot, which was a big ocean-going tugboat. It had a salon and a place for the actors to rest between takes, and you could have their meals out out of the wind and the waves. So it was like the movie production needed a bigger boat. Yes, and, and, it, <laughs> and it was a phrase that we used whenever anything went wrong. You know, yeah. some, somebody knocked a light over or something fell you know, into, right. into the shot. They're going to say, well, we need a bigger boat. <laughs> oh, so he was being inside jokey. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game goes. Uh, you heard the question that we asked Paul. We wanted to know who wrote the book that Jaws the movie was based on, who co-wrote the screenplay, and what was the book that that co-writer wrote later. Helen, let's remind everyone of the three answers that Paul gave. Paul said Peter Benchley, Carl Gottlieb, and the Jaws log. And Mr. Gottlieb? Absolutely correct. On all three counts, three points. And you are showing the audience uh, a new version of the Jaws log? This is the 30th anniversary edition. There's another edition after that. And, uh, <laughs> and from my personal and, collection, this is my first edition of the oh, Jaws that log, that, 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 which I happily and proudly keep that, on my shelf. That's the 1975 one. Yeah, it's been in print. You know, uh, It went out of print briefly. I recaptured the copyright, reissued it, and it's still selling. It's Excellent. Best, best it's selling. a terrific book. Mr. Carl Gottlieb, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Not only was expert Carl Gottlieb the first person to be introduced by the guest he was there to surprise, he also was the first expert to come back and be an expert for another guest when he returned for the topic of Jaws 2 for guest Jack O'Brien on episode 43. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves a treat. But we'll be back with more of Go Fact Yourself's best of movie special right after this. Mmm, treats. Mmm. 
You know, CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Stress, anxiety, pain. CBD has been helpful for me, and I found it to be a safe, natural method to relieve pain, nervousness, and sleeplessness without those harmful side effects. It really just helps me relax and feel better. And Feels is a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help to keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. Place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important, and everyone's dose is different. In fact, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so you can find your perfect dose. It's not just a premium product, it's premium service. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash gofact and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash gofact to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash gofact. Thank you, Feels. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me? Oh, Helen, guess what time it is to talk about? I'm guessing it's about cereal, Jay Keith. It is about cereal, and not just any cereal. It's about Magic Spoon. Oh, I love Magic Spoon so much. I'm getting hungry just talking about it right now. Oh, if you've been trying to cut down on carbs or on sugar, you might feel like you have to give up cereal for breakfast. Well, guess what? You don't because there's Magic Spoon. It's so delicious. It's also got some nutrition stuff, which Helen will tell you about. <laughs> Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 140 calories, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. You know, you've heard us talk about Magic Spoon for months now, and the reason is, A, we love it, and they keep advertising because, B, people are buying it and enjoying it using our coupon code. Helen, what is that coupon code, and how can people get Magic Spoon? Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and be sure to use our promo code gofact at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of cereal at magicspoon.com slash gofact and use the code Go fact to save $5 off. Thank Thank you, Magic Spoon. Are you ready to binge watch something? 
old. The Greatest Generation is a podcast about Star Trek by a couple of hosts a little bit embarrassed to even have a Star Trek podcast. Hosted by me, Ben Harrison. And me, Adam Pranica. We get into the critical, the technical, the science fictional aspects of the show we love while roasting it and each other at the same time. We've completed an entire series about Star Trek The Next Generation and another one about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and we've just begun Star Trek Voyager, so now is a great time to start watching a new Star Trek series with us. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts and become a friend of DeSoto today. Welcome back to the Best of Movies episode of Go Fact Yourself. I'm Helen Hong. And I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. You know, Allie Gertz is a friend of the Max Fun Network. She and her co-host Julia Prescott recently wrapped up the last episode of their Simpsons podcast, Round Springfield. And in addition to the Simpsons, it turns out that she's also a big fan of the classic SNL film Wayne's World. Here's Allie against comedian Jason Stewart from episode 36. Uh, Allie, here's your first question about Wayne's World. To what Queen song do Wayne, Garth, and their buddies sing along and bang their heads? Bohemian Rhapsody. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. A bit of a gimme there. Uh, fun fact, Mike Myers appears in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody and says no one is going to be headbanging in the car to Bohemian Rhapsody. A little nod to uh, Wayne's World. All right, question number two. Wayne refers to the car he drives as the Mirthmobile. What is the make and model of the Mirthmobile? Um, I was hoping you were going to say he calls it what? And I was going to say the Mirthmobile. But it is a gremlin. um, But I don't know more than that. But it's a blue gremlin that is from the 80s. There is a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Sure, I'll use the hint. All right, Helen, let's use that first hint. The make is the network that airs The Walking Dead, and the model could be an NBA player in Indiana. Um... That doesn't, unfortunately, help me. <laughs> oh, all right. It's AMC Gremlin. Helen, <laughs> is, it AMC, Helen is it AMC Gremlin? It is not? <laughs> no, I'm terribly sorry. Jason with a chance to steal. Is it a pacer? Uh, full make and model, please. Um, was that a, a GM product or a Ford? A the G- make is the network that airs The Walking Dead. Oh, and- uh, FX. Oh, no, I'm sorry, AMC. So put it all together, please. AMC Pacer. That is correct. Yes, oh it is my AMC God. Pacer. Yay. Oh, my God. I don't even know why I knew oh. that. I'm so, I'm so sorry. No, I didn't I'm mean so to take wrong. your point, but I'm just so excited that I knew something that I didn't know. No, I love it. Uh, fun fact, in 2016, the actual car from the movie, that AMC Pacer, sold at auction for $37,400. Oh. Uh, Isn't it odd the way things just stay in your head? Yeah. I still have no, I'm so surprised and proud of myself. Yeah. Good job, Jason. <laughs> Thank you. Jay. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Me too. Thank you. Allie, here's question number three. Okay. Wayne's World was the feature film debut for SNL star Mike Myers, but it was also the movie debut of what other SNL cast member? Dana Carvey? Helen? That is not correct. No, not Dana Carvey. Jason with a chance to steal. Um, would I say... Oh, wait. I think I know, but it's too late. No, go ahead. Chris, I don't, Chris I... Farley? It is, it is Jason's to steal, though. Chris Farley? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It's Chris Farley. <laughs> Good job, Jason. <laughs> Allie, probably the most generous competitor we've had on the show. Uh, yeah, he plays a security guard in the movie who has a lot of exposition that comes in handy later. I knew that in yeah. my mind. Uh, fun, just... fact, fun fact, Dana Carvey's movie debut was as a news crew assistant in Halloween 2. Oh so God. he had been in the movies before. He also, uh, he also played a mime with Billy Crystal in Spinal, Spinal Tap. Tap. Yes, yeah, he yeah, did. Yes, he did. Uh, all right, let's see if you can bounce back with number four, Allie. 
In a memorable sequence in the movie, Wayne and Gar say that they will not bow to any sponsor while simultaneously making reference to obvious product placement. Name two of the five brands that are displayed during this scene. Uh, Pepsi, uh, Pizza Hut. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> you want to show off and name the other ones too? I think it was like Reebok mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, Little Yellow. Yeah, Newprin. Yeah. Newprin, that's <laughs> that correct, correct as well. That's right. Also yes. correct. Yeah. Pizza Hut, Doritos, Pepsi, Reebok, and Newprin. Doritos, Very good. That's All right, question number five. Though, as you mentioned, the movie was released on Valentine's Day in 1992, a teaser trailer was released in November of 1991 that was made to be shown before one specific film, a film that was also based on a TV show. What film was it? Um, you do have a second hint available. Yeah, I'll take my hint because Helen? I was... I need your help on this Okay, yeah. Helen, how about that second hint? Oh, Adam's Family. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Excellent use of the hint. Uh, fun fact, Wayne and Garth attempt to sing the Adams Family theme in that teaser trailer. They don't get very far. That's so funny. Uh, all right, you did pretty well in that, but now here's your expert-level question that requires a multiple answer. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Allie, you can learn a lot about a movie from its poster. We want to see what you know about the original theatrical release poster for Wayne's World. For up to three points, what is the tagline for the movie that begins with, you'll laugh, you'll cry? What band's t-shirt is Garth wearing on the poster? And whose name is listed last in the credits on the poster? Uh, You'll Hurl and uh, Van Halen. And uh, I can't think of who would be... Uh, listed last because I'm not sure if that means like a like a like a crew member. If, it, if it's on the poster, it's got to be like I don't know Penelope Spheris. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is an award-winning filmmaker whose movies include The Decline of Western Civilization, oh Parts One, oh Two, God. and Three, oh my God. and Wayne's World. It's director Penelope Spheris. Penelope Spheris. Penelope embracing both of our guests. Thank you for joining us. Have a seat right over there. Oh, wow. The audience very happy. Allie having to uh, give herself oxygen. (laughs) It's very nice to meet you. I'm a big fan. I heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we are honored. Absolutely. Hello, Ms. Ferris. Hello. Excellent. Uh, now, in addition to those Decline movies and Wayne's World, of course, you've directed many other documentaries and features like Black Sheep, Beverly Hillbillies, The Boys Next Door, Little Rascals, and more. A very accomplished director. We're very happy to have. Uh, before we talk about Wayne's World, I want to talk about some of those. In fact, you produced one of my very favorite movies, which was Real Life, an Albert Brooks film. Tell us, how, how did you get involved in that? Oh, wow. And uh, what was it like working with Albert Brooks? Well, I actually knew Lauren before he started SNL. And he said to me, um, if you want to come to New York and work on the show, that'd be great. And I said, no, I have a little three-year-old, so no. But um, if you need anything out here, let me know. And so he said, I found this really funny... Wait, I'll do Lauren. <laughs> I found this really funny comedian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Albert Brooks, but he doesn't know anything about making movies, and you know everything, so can you teach him? And uh, then, yeah. So that's how I got involved. <laughs> that's really great. Wow. So she made all the short films, wit- produced all the short films at the beginning of Saturday Night Live. You could be my agent. Yes. yes yeah. Thank you. It was, you're, you're amazing. <laughs> oh, that's my true. God. What a legend. Yes. Yes. 
Now, uh, Real Life uh, was, a, was a, a movie, a fictional movie, but about a documentary crew, and you've worked in, 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 both, uh, in both spaces. How, how do you approach a documentary directing versus approaching a feature directing? Well, uh, you know what I do with documentaries, and I think people should do this, is I just ask and search for that which I want to know. Mm. You know, not what I think everybody else wants to know, but what I want to know. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the reason the decline worked, you know? Mm. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, your daughter uh, earlier when you were thinking about working with uh, Lauren Michaels, and you actually have gotten to work with, with your daughter since then. I sure have, yeah. My daughter actually was the reason the Decline movies came out on DVD because I never wanted to do it. You know, I've got that old school punk rock uh, thing which is like, don't sell out, don't commercialize, don't, you know, do the things just to make money. And I just never did it. And she goes, Mom, people want to see it. And so she, Anna Fox is her name, and she pushed me toward doing it. And I thank her for that. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. Thank you. All right, well, let's talk about Wayne's World. How, how did you get the gig? You said you already knew Lorne Michaels from before. I did, and I had just done the Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, and it was about metal music. And as you, as Allie may know, Garth and Wayne thought they were headbangers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. now, I, I didn't really think they were, yeah. but uh, they thought they were. So uh, the, the metal music connection and just the fact that I had worked with Lorne, and he... You know, I always wanted to do shorts on Saturday Night Live, but um, I would write all these pieces and he wouldn't let me do them and I was really mad about it. But I think finally he just kind of wanted to pay me back and gave me the uh, Wayne's World gig. That's wow. great. And uh, how much of the trivia do you know? Because I understand people still come up to you and ask you questions about it. How, how much do you know and, and remember about uh, the kind of things people ask you about? About Wayne's World? Yeah. Oh, um, it's crazy that it's lasted this long, you know? And it's actually crazy that the decline of Western civilization has lasted this long. But um, well, when you it, do things that are good, they stay around, honestly. I guess, maybe. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. I don't know. That's what it's about, if they connect with people emotionally. And I think those are two films, two completely different p- films yeah. done by the same person, which really tells a lot about you. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I was just um, trying to work out my own childhood troubles, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, I don't know, they, they lasted, so that's cool. That is. You mentioned that you didn't think that Wayne and Garth were headbangers. Of course, one of the most famous scenes is them banging their heads. I understand Mike Myers was not a fan of that scene <laughs> at, at time of filming. It, right, yeah, he, he actually, I, you know, Mike, I, I don't know, he gets a headache easy or something, but he... <laughs> You know, he said, I need Advil. We're banging our heads so much, he didn't even know the phrase, but we're making our heads go up and down so much. (laughs) He didn't know the term headbanging? I don't think so. (laughs) He hasn't made it to Canada yet. But he learned real quick. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, and is it true that he, he didn't think that that would be funny? or, or that Yeah, he good? kept saying, why are we doing this? We have to do it so many times because I was changing the camera angles. And he's like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? It's not even funny. And I said, please trust me. Because, see, I had done the same scene in a movie previously. The movie was called Dudes, and it had Flea and oh, uh, yeah. John Cryer in it. Um, and, and I had them singing Hava Nagila. I had then. <laughs> 
Hava Nagila headbanging. You know what's funny. I know, baby. (laughs) Headbanging in a Volkswagen. So I had already done that scene. I knew it worked, you know. And so, but but Mike went along with it, you know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of people uh, as extreme as Ali was with uh, with writing down scripts and, and dressing as guards? I have day? not heard that, but you know what she reminded me. She's adorable. Thank you know you. what you know what she reminded me of was the fact that I have the original Wayne's World script, and it ended up being about this thick. Wow! Wow! You're, you're you're spreading your fingers for our listeners about yeah. uh, oh, it's going wow. up about a foot. It was so about, two phone books <clears throat> on top of each oh, other. Oh, totally. Yeah. Why? Why books. so thick? Because they kept giving me new pages every day, and as you know, with making scripts, you get new colors. You know, every right. version is new colors, and we went through. All the colors, and there's like 15 colors. You know, there's like <laughs> there's like salmon and yeah. aquamarine. Yeah, you know you're in trouble when you're at Marigold. <laughs> oh no, there's, there's a Marigold. Yeah, yeah. no, I know. And so we went we went through all the colors like three times. So the script was like about that thick. So you have all the different versions. I have that whole yeah script wow. there, and I'm gonna put it on eBay soon. So if anybody wants. I'm just <laughs> I think you have a buyer right here in Exeter. I don't think you have to even no, put you know it on eBay. No, what's funny is because I was going to buy that dang pacer, you know. I said to the transport. You were? Oh, yeah. I said to the transport department, I said, I want to buy the car and uh, just have it as a souvenir. And they said, okay. And then a little bit later, they go, you can't buy it. I Why? Said, exactly. And because they wanted it. But <laughs> because... They said, oh, it's all hopped up. It's going to be dangerous, and we don't want the liability. I'm like, you jive-ass MFs. You know, you, you just got to yeah. give me the car because I work so hard. Just give me the car. <laughs> and they didn't even know it was going to be a hit movie at that point. Well, but, I was going to ask you about that because uh, at what point did you realize you've got a hit movie on your hands? Well, when we had the first screening, I sort of realized it, yeah, because the, the audience went nuts. The studio went nuts. You, you, don't, you don't get, like, a score of 98 for a test screening, you know, and they went nuts, and like, I just, I knew it was successful at the test screening when all the suits were, like, in the lobby, and then they, I was talking to them, and then they kind of moved in, and they closed me out, and I'm, like, looking at the back of suits, (laughs) and I'm like, hey, I must be a woman in the film business. (laughs) I was gonna say, you're such a badass, because not only did you you direct these amazing docs, but you made this very hilarious film, um, and, and that really you know, is not, like, in the realm of what would be, quote-unquote, a typical woman movie. Right. And you did such an amazing job. Well, and, thank you. And back then, it must have been really, really hard. Yeah, it was hard. You know, I went through a lot of BS when I was coming up in the business, you know. But I like the term badass. Yeah. But I also want to be known as a kind, loving badass. <laughs> I think we can all agree with that, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game goes. You heard the questions that we asked Allie. First, we wanted Allie to complete the tagline for the movie that began with, you'll laugh, you'll cry. Helen, what did Allie say? Allie said, you'll hurl. And Penelope? She's absolutely right. That is a point for Allie. <laughs> you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl. Next, we want to know what band's T-shirt is Garth wearing on the poster. Helen, what did Allie say? Allie said, Van Halen. And uh, Miss Ferris? Boo. Oh. I think that might have been in, decline, in, in uh, Wayne's World too, mm. but I don't know. But it was Aerosmith. Aerosmith. It was Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah, that, was yeah. A, that was a tricky one. Uh, and finally, we wanted to know whose name is listed last in the credits of the poster. Helen, what did Allie say? Allie said Penelope Spheris. And? <laughs> yes! Holding her hand up in triumphant champion. <laughs> Raising her hand high. Girlfriends, 
together. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Of, course, the, of course, the director is listed last. Uh, it's a in prestigious. The yes. It's not that you're like. It's a prestigious thing. At yes, the end, and so the director, is. and of course, the director was Penelope Spheris. Yeah. I just want to say thanks to Ali and Jason and all you guys and for being such a fan of Wayne's World is so cool. Oh my God, that, thank you so much. Thank that, you for making it. Well, one of the most him. successful Saturday Night Live films Easily, ever. yeah, the, yeah. The most successful. Can I ask a quick question? No, no, it's the most successful. Yeah. Actually, John, oh, it is. John Goldwyn came up to me at a party recently. He was drunk off his ass and he said, <laughs> and he said to me, Lauren really loves you. And I'm like, why? And he said, because you made him more money than any other movie. And I'm like, that's a good reason, thanks. <laughs> Maybe how to use you again. That's huh? what I think. If well, Lawrence we did was... Black Sheep together. Yeah, right. You know, but, but and something... you were right about Chris Farley, too. Yes. You know, so I got, I got two movies out of Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. If people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Oh, well, I have a website, PenelopeSphiris.com, and... Um, uh, DecliningMovies.com, but I don't keep up with it because it's too much work for me. <laughs> let's try. Let's make the people and do I'll the work. I'll say the wrong thing, man. I'll Roseanne out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, is that a new expression, I Roseanne out? I just created it. She but... keeps contributing to the popular culture. That's you know, why we love Penelope Spears, ladies and gentlemen. What an honor! What a treat! Thank you so much. Well, what an honor, indeed. Hey, here's an easy pun. Let's wrap things up with Anthony Rap from episode 40. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Normally, I'm a co-host of the show, but spoiler alert, I finally got to take on the role of an expert in this episode. Yeah, we had guest co-host Cristela Alonzo in because Helen was out shooting something, but she managed to show up sporting a very unique look. Here's Anthony against Jessica McKenna as he answered trivia questions about Coen Brothers movies. All right, question number one, Anthony. I have a feeling you're going to get this. They're known as the Coen brothers, but what are their first names? Joel and Ethan. Christella? Correct. That is correct. Starting strong. Yeah, starting strong. Uh, Fun fact, Joel is three years older than Ethan. Mm. Uh, Question number two. There are so many great lines from the Coen brothers movies, but this one about balloons is the favorite of your host, Jay Keith. Listen closely. Balloons. Hey, these blow up into funny shapes at all? Well, no, unless round is funny. What movie is that line from? I'm going to say, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Christella. Incorrect. No, I'm terribly sorry. Yeah. Jessica with a chance to steal. Um, friggin' uh, Hudsucker Proxy? Is it from friggin' Hudsucker Proxy, Christella? <laughs> friggin' no. No, yeah. I'm I know what it is. Sorry. It's Raising Arizona. It is from Raising Arizona, yes. Sorry, you didn't get that one. Let's see if you can bounce back with number three. Speaking of which, in the Hudsucker Proxy, a drawing of a circle is used to represent a toy, you know, for kids. Then it's used to represent another toy, you know, for kids. What are these two real-life toys? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I want to say a hula hoop is one of them. And then uh, la la frisbee. Uh, so I'm going yeah, to go out on a limb and, and ask for one of the hints just to be like certain. Okay, how about that first hint, Christella? Both toys were originally trademarked and made by Whammo. Yeah, I'm going to say a frisbee and a hula hoop. Christella? Correct. That is correct. Very good. Good use of the hint. Nice one. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, man. Question number four. <laughs> The Coen brothers like to work with a lot of the same actors, but with seven films and counting, who has probably been in the most? Uh, it's not Frances McDormand, believe it or not. I don't think it's going to be her. Um, you do have a hint be, available if you'd yeah, like to use that second it hint. Be, it could be George Clooney. Mm. Yeah, hint. All right, how about that second hint, Christella? Steve Buscemi and John Goodman have each been in six of their films, but she has been in seven. Oh, shocking. Gender reveal. <laughs> could it be Frances? <laughs> 
So, okay, I'm going to count. Blood Simple was Francis. Raising Arizona is Francis. Um, Barton Fink, she's in that. If I remember correctly, Miller's Crossing. But I don't know how many more she did after that. She might, because she, she did a lot of like little cameos. Fargo. Mm. Uh, all right, I'm going to say Francis McDormand. Christella? Correct. That is correct. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I was so ready for that steal. Yeah. I was waiting for you to talk yourself out of it, I and I was going to be like, oh, The moment it's you Francis. said it wasn't her. Oh, oh we all got so I nervous. underestimated. I had to think through the, yeah. the cameos, the smaller yeah. things. You yes. You did, you did uh, it. She's fun. married to him. She, yeah. yeah, well, that is well, my Joel. fun fact. McDormand is married to Joel Cohen, and yeah. they met while filming their debut, Blood Simple. Yeah. She's so badass. Right? She's yeah. great. I don't have any more hints, though. I, no I more hints available, and this is the most difficult, allegedly, of the five questions. Let's see how you do with it. Question number five. Most of the Cohen Brothers movies have been edited by the Cohen Brothers, but credited to a pseudonym. Who is their fictional editor? Roderick James. Christella? Correct. That is correct. <laughs> oh, Anthony, leaning back with some swagger. Yeah. Wow. You have to narrate the lean back. That was, yeah, yeah. that was pretty impressive. Uh, fun fact, the fictional Roderick James has been nominated for two Academy Awards. Yes. And I guess they would have Accepted it? Like, I don't know. It would have been fun to see what would have happened. Has that happened before? Yeah. Were there aliens? So, hey, all you imaginary editors out there, keep dreaming. It happened for you. Like, I would love it if like, the presenter had to be like, Roderick couldn't be here tonight. We accept the award in his All right, Anthony, you did quite well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Anthony, some people have pointed out that the Coen brothers lack diversity in their casting. That may be true, but we can point to two movies in which they cast Korean Americans in mm-hmm. memorable roles. Yes. One in 1996 and one in 2013. Yes. For up to three points, name these two movies and one of the actors, or the two actors and one of the movies. I can name certainly Fargo is one okay. of the movies for sure. Um, Was there a Korean American actor in that that you could name? Oh, his name. I don't know his name. Okay. I don't know his name. Perhaps another movie from uh, 2013. Uh, would it, 2013? I'm trying to think what year that would, it, is. That uh, um, yeah, I'm going to say being Lewin Davis. Would All be right, the film. and then uh, one of the actors. <sighs> uh, I, it's not Michael Lee. I don't think that's the name, but I, that's, I'm just going to say. You say Michael Lee. But All right, it's not that. Christella is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Christella, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is an actor who has appeared in many TV shows and movies, including memorable roles in two movies directed by the Coen brothers. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Stephen Park. Stephen Park. I apologize. I apologize. Hello, Stephen Park. Uh, I just want to clear up some uh, confusion because uh, at the time I did Fargo, I went by Steve Park. Okay. And now yeah. I go by Stephen Park professionally, yeah. but that screws a lot of people up. I understand. Up, so I see. Yeah. But, but not, some, not Michael Lee. Not Michael Lee. No, no. I'm, ter- <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. It's so wonderful to have you here. Oh, you thank have, you. You've thank worked you. with some uh, wonderful uh, directors. We're going to talk about the, your experience with the Coen Brothers in a second. But uh, you worked with Spike Lee and Do the Right Thing. Yeah, yes, you I did. You played the, uh, the shop owner. That was owner. My, first, my first movie. That was your first role. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, you've worked with the Coen Brothers twice, and uh, now you've recently worked with uh, Wes Anderson. I did. I Tell just, us about the uh, Wes Anderson oh, movie. That's fantastic. not out fantastic. I uh, was uh, in Angoulême, France, and uh, he's shooting a movie. Well, they, they, they finished uh, shooting, but it's called The French Dispatch. And it's kind of, a, they're calling it like a love letter to journalists. So it's an outpost of American expatriates living in France, mm-hmm. writing for an American newspaper. So it's like French life. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience. That's terrific. Now, of course, yeah. uh, people in our audience are already recognizing you from the, the wonderful turn that you did in Fargo, the Coen Brothers movie. Thank you. Uh, for the, for the, please, absolutely. Yes. Thank you. 
Uh, now, there are scholars who argue about that scene where, where, where you yeah, play someone that uh, Marge was... went to high school with, and there's some that say that's the soul of the movie, and there's others who say, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> I was scared they were going to cut it out oh. when they did it, but oh. I learned a little bit when because they were talking about it was uh, uh, Roger Ebert and Martin Scorsese were actually talking about it on, on uh, his show, and I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, Marge Gunderson, after she uh, meets with me and then gets the phone call and realizes that I w- my character was lying the whole time, that's what propels her to go uh, see uh, Bill Macy's character mm. again in order to interrogate him again. So it did kind of very subtly push the plot forward, but it was very hidden. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was an incredible performance. Um, Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second, but I wanted to also ask you, uh, I remember you from being in the cast of In Living Color. Yes. Which is a, a wonderful experience. Which is where I met my wife, Kelly Which is Kelly where you Cofield. met your wife, Kelly, yes. who's here oh, tonight cool. as well. Yes. That's cool. Uh, uh, what, what is the seduction process like on a sketch comedy <laughs> show? Well, you know, the, I, I didn't, I was there for one season, and I was there like in the third season, and, the, and then I was gone, and I didn't even really get to know Kelly at the time. And then maybe about almost seven years later, we were cast in a play together at East West Players, which mm-hmm. is very close by, called Big Hunk of Burn and Love, playing a married couple getting a divorce. So we always like to say we got the divorce over with. And, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> That's terrific. Uh, and Steve, I understand that you actually brought a, a special guest with yes, you tonight as yes, well. Yes, because I wanted to add a little more color to the stage. I would yeah. like to introduce Helen Hong. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Yay. I just realized something. It's too late, but I, 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 in my nervousness, I misstated the title. Yeah. I know what the title we'll is misstated. We'll get to that, but, but I have to address, I I have to address the elephant or Helenfint in the room. Hi, Helen Mr. Hong has entered, and, and Helen, uh, last time I saw you when you were uh, hosting the show here with me, uh, you had hair. I had hair. And right now you seem to be bald. Correct. Yes, what is happening? Uh, I, the, so the reason why I'm not hosting the show today, by the way, Christella is doing such an amazing Yay. job. <laughs> Yes. Uh, playing the role of Helen today as the host. Yes. I'm starting to feel a little paranoid <laughs> that the podcast is going to replace me with Christella on a regular basis because I was laughing my ass off. I was like, she's good. <laughs> she's very good. Um, but I got, I got booked, uh, I got cast in a um, college humor show where they're parodying Chef's Table. And I don't know if you guys have seen the Chef's Table episode um, where they go to a, a, a Buddhist monastery in South Korea. Season three, episode one. Season three, episode one. And the, sh- and the chef, in quotes, uh, is actually like a Buddhist monk who's not a chef at all. She just cooks food for the Buddhist monastery, and her name is Chung Kwang, and it's an amazing episode. And so they're doing a whole parody series about Chef's Table, and so I w- I've been the Jung Kwan character for two days, um, and she's bald, and I'm not. So, so you I, shaved your head for the role? I shaved my head for the role. I shaved my head for the role. <laughs> Helen, no, no I she didn't. did not shave her head for the role. It's college humor. I'm getting paid $25. <laughs> I was not going to shave my head. Yeah. No, I spent like two hours the last two days in, in, hair, in hair, and, hair and makeup, in quotes, to get this bald cap on. And, the, and it looks pretty good from the front. But if you look at the back, you can see like where my hair is. <laughs> <laughs> like underneath, like shoved underneath. Like well, I have you, a weird... Yeah. Well, you came right from the set to be with... With us I did. So I really appreciate that very much. Here. And and there's an important reason, not just because you're Helen Hong and we love you on the show, but you also have worked with the Cone Brothers I've and you're with also the a Brothers. Korean American. I'm the other Korean American. <laughs> oh, see. 
I was in a way, way, way less memorable scene than Stephen Park was. Because Stephen Park is like, that scene in Fargo is like, nobody forgets that scene. So Roger scene. Ebert and Martin Scorsese were discussing your role? Never. In, uh... in fact, I tell people that I've been in a Coen Brothers movie and they're like, where? <laughs> like, they don't even remember the scene. What was the scene for those who don't remember? So there's a, so there's a, a dinner party scene where the Oscar Isaac character <sighs> is invited to the dinner party, and he's sitting with, like, a bunch of, you know, his, like, sort of educated friends. Um, and I play uh, one half of a married couple. Um, my name is Janet uh, Fung, and my husband's last name is Green. So we've named our baby Howard Green Fung. <laughs> Howard Greenfung, not hyphenated, just Greenfung. And Oscar Isaac's character is dumbfounded by that and thinks it's really stupid. That's great. And uh, Stephen, you actually have been in two Coen Brothers movies, as we mentioned. So it was Fargo, and what was the yes, other one? Yes, by the way, in? in Fargo, I was playing a Japanese-American, Mike Yanagida. Oh. oh, okay. Oh, yeah. In yeah. Uh, Serious Man, I was playing a Korean-American character. And there is another Korean actor who was in... Uh, a serious um, man um, with you. Played your son, right? Yeah, he, him. But yeah. also, I'm thinking of... Um, Oh, oh there's the one dude, of the Big the Lebowski. Yeah, the Big Lebowski, yeah. I wanted to be clear in the question. We, we, we weren't saying that you... We weren't trying to apply we were the only Korean-Americans, just the ones that we knew who would show yeah. up tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we, we were pinning it to specific years. Uh, if I can, if I can uh, talk on a, on a more serious note just for, for a moment. Uh, one of the things that you're very noted for, Stephen, is that back in 1997, you sounded the call about how Asian-American actors were being treated in Hollywood. You wrote this, this manifesto that, wow. uh, I guess, before the term viral... Yeah. went viral. It really, uh, it really woke people up about uh, how Asian-Americans were getting cast and how they're being treated on set. Yeah. Uh, ha- has thing- have things uh, gotten My better God, since? I think we're in the midst of it right now. The, the change is... Ha- we're in the midst of this huge change. The pilot we just did mm-hmm. uh, was uh, created by a Chinese-American woman and directed by a Chinese-American woman. The first time an Asian-American woman directed a network half-hour comedy pilot. Mm. So it's the first. That's terrific. Yeah. None of us have accents, y'all. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, so we have to know your background by what? Your stories? <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you guys have personalities? <laughs> yeah. Characters? Like oh. actual individuals. <laughs> that's, really, that's really great it, it to hear. It wasn't that yeah. long ago, really, that Mickey Rooney played a Chinese Oh, God, guy. I know. Do you remember that? Isn't that Oh, unbelievable? of course. But, you know, yeah. we, we, we grew up when, whenever we, I saw an Asian person as an extra, I'd be like, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it was like a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you just uh, again, going back to the Coen Brothers, uh, when they uh, you were hired again for a Serious Man. What was the difference, uh, if any, in working with them back in '96 and then? Uh, well, later it's on? crazy because Fargo has, you know, it, it had such an impact on my career, but it was like one day of my life. Mm. And Serious Man too it was like flew in, did my scene, boom, I'm gone. You know, Fargo was like a full day. Yeah. Um, and I did hang out with him a little bit. We all like kind of, uh, and I remember asking Joel, I was like, what do you think? Do you think this movie's going to do well? He's like, probably not. <laughs> like, didn't really have faith that it was going to do well. Because it was weird. You yeah. know, was like, this is too weird. It's not going to. Yeah. So we were given tapes to audition, like we, of people from Fargo or people from that area mm. talking. So I had a, like a slight dialect uh, for the audition. But then once I got the job, uh, Liz Himmelstein was a dialect coach, and she was like, no, it's got to be more, like, oh, yeah. And it sounded so phony. It sounded really, like, fake. Yeah. 
but she was like, no, that's, no, that's real. It. And now everyone does that accent yeah. because of Fargo. Yeah. Because of Fargo. Yeah, but and it was real. really it was really weird learning the dialect because it didn't sound real. Um, we could talk to you all day about your career and about work, uh, all the work that you've done, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Anthony. We wanted to know who were the Korean Americans and what movies in 1996 and in 2013 that the Cone brothers did. Uh, what was the first answer that Anthony gave us, Christella? Fargo. And uh, Stephen Park, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Another point for Anthony. What was the second answer that Anthony gave us, Christella? Being Lewin Davis. And uh, Helen and Stephen? It's inside Lewin Davis, but I'll give it to you. Oh, she's going to give him a point. Thank you. I realized my mistake really quickly. Too, yes. Thank you. Uh, and finally, we wanted to know uh, one of the two actors. Uh, what did Anthony say, Christella? Michael Lee. And uh, Stephen? Was that correct? No, that is not correct. No, I'm sorry. No point there. Who were the people who were in those movies? Uh, Stephen Park. And? Helen, Helen Hall. And we're certainly happy to have both of them. <laughs> Helen, we know where people can find you. Stephen, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? Uh, they can go to YouTube. And Google up uh, the scene from Fargo if they want to look at that. <laughs> uh, and the Wes Anderson movie that's coming out, when is that and what is it called? The French Dispatch. It's, uh, I think it will be released sometime at the end of this year or maybe early next year. Excellent. It was wonderful to host you and uh, very strange to host you, <laughs> Stephen Park and Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Let's Thank go have a nice you. Hand. Thank you. Oh, listeners, I wish you could have been there, because if you haven't seen Helen Hong in full bald mode, you know now what to Google immediately. (laughs) Be sure to check out our other Best Of episodes on Go Fact Yourself, the Best of Baseball, Best of Music, and Best of TV. And you can find links to the full episodes of every clip for this Best Of Movie special in our show notes. That just leaves me to thank all of our guests and experts, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program divided and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our live show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Mike Avellanos. Promotional graphics by Eric Tran. Added support by Dave Bianchi and Christine Villada. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch even more movies! Dun 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 I'm really good at that. You really are. Hey, everybody, one last thing before we go. I actually have something to promote. I am co-producing a short film that is starring and written by my fiance Sarah Rodenbaugh, who is right here. Hi, Sarah. Hi, J.K. I uh, wanted to tell you about it because it's something that you, our listeners, can help support. And we would love to have you help support it because uh, Sarah is in fundraising mode right now. Sarah's going to tell you a little bit about the movie. And just as a little content warning, it does involve uh, suicide and death and grief, um, which I know is upsetting to some people. But that's also kind of the point. Um, this short film is about grief. And um, this woman who I play goes through the stages of grief in some sort of ridiculous ways. And I think the point of this piece of art is to show and share that not everyone grieves the same way, and that's okay. I lost my brother to suicide when I was 20 years old, and it led me to write the story. Um, And it isn't that 
particular story, but it is a story um, of a woman who loses her husband. And we'd really appreciate any support at all in making this type of art. So we're asking if you're moved to contribute to um, this kind of piece of art, you can go to hangmanfilm.com. And see a little bit more of my story there. And if you're moved to contribute, that's the place to do it. And we thank you so much. There you go. Hangmanfilm.com. I'm proud to support the movie. I hope that I would do so even if we weren't engaged to be married because I really do think it's wonderful. And she's wonderful. And it's a wonderful message. So, again, hangmanfilm.com. I hope you'll check it out. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much. Thank you, Hangmanfilm. Thank you, Hangmanfilm.com. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.